I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Okay, welcome to today's episode of Beauty Bosses. I'm so excited to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Rocio Salas Whalen. Rocio, you are a double board certified endocrinologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan right here in my stomping grounds. Dr. Salas Whalen went to medical school in Mexico, following which she completed her residency in internal medicine at Jacoby Medical Center as part of Albert Einstein School of Medicine in New York. And you were a research fellow in obesity surgery at Johns Hopkins University um, and obtained another fellowship in endocrinology. So really uh, getting those degrees in there. And also metabolism at University of Maryland. Uh, endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism at University in Maryland, of Maryland. Uh, Dr. Salas Whalen's practice has a particular emphasis on obesity, diabetes, and thyroid disorders, and aims to change the narrative around obesity. So you are one of my favorite endocrinologists and a go-to provider and practitioner for patients in my practice. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, We want to talk a little bit about so many of these hot topics regarding obesity, wellness, satiety, and medicine. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about you and when you knew you wanted to become a doctor. I... The only memory I have of wanting to do something when I grew up was to be a doctor. That's my earliest memories. I've always wanted to be a doctor, and there was never anything else that I thought I could do. It was just not a a what. It was a when. When would I become a doctor for me? And what was it about endocrinology in particular that was interesting to you? You know, growing up in Mexico, uh, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, is the number one cause of death. So I would say it's the, one of the earliest diseases that I heard because a lot of family members had it. So I think it was one of the most familiar diseases that I grew up with and wanted to help people with type 2 diabetes was the reason that I went into medicine and endocrinology. Yeah. I remember when we first became friends, maybe eight years ago, 10 years ago, it was a little while ago, years ago, um, you used to talk to me about obesity in a way that I hadn't really spoken to many of my doctor colleagues. Um, and a lot of the things that we talked about were about the gradual increase in weight over time, like this phenomenon of, of course, people who are obese and overweight, but also people who are kind of within a relatively healthy body weight, but who gain a couple pounds a year after college and then end up being a totally different person. Mm -hmm. In your practice today, what percentage of patients that you take care of are in these two camps? Like, you know, obese versus kind of struggling with those last 10 or 15 pounds? I think there's a very wide range of, of the type of patients that I see in my practice and something that I've learned 
through experience doing obesity medicine and doing, doing body composition on patients is that many times those patients that we think that they may need only 10 pounds, that we, if we look at them, if we look at the BMI, that we say, okay, they, they can only lose about 10 to 15 pounds. They may really benefit from even more weight loss, right? So I think that is a, it's changing a lot the perspective that we're seeing on which patients require medications or not because then we have the other, the other example is that let's talk about the patient that it says that it has to lose 10, 15 pounds. But my question in those patients and their visit is to see up to what degree in their life it takes, consumes to maintain that weight and to get to those 15 uh, other pounds of weight loss, right? So if, if it's consuming, if it's become a part-time job or a full-time job to be within those 10 pounds, then those patients still benefit from the medication, right? Because they're, they're resourcing to extreme, not sustainable measurements, fighting probably genetics, hormonal changes, aging, environmental factors. So even those patients can benefit from the medications. Yeah. Why do you think there has been such an extreme backlash in the press about Ozempic and drugs in that class? Like why, why when we know from a medical physician standpoint, these medicines help so many people, why is the press so negative about them? Because, and I don't think it's just the press, I think it's the society because the way that we see obesity, obesity is considered as a lifestyle problem, as a willpower issue, right? So. If you think of, about somebody telling, I'm going to go on medications that potentially has severe side effects or side effects just to be skinny or to be thin, then you do think this is crazy, right? Why are people doing this? And we see this backlash. But when you see obesity as what it is, and it's a true chronic disease that is uh, categorized as a chronic disease, uh, then it doesn't seem so crazy being on weight loss medication, right? Also, I feel like there's a lot of bias in patients with obesity or that they struggle with weight, even in the healthcare. Healthcare is the number one in bias with obesity. And we think of patients with obesity as lazy, not smart enough, not having willpower, right? So we even give up even before the patient starts talking just from our bias. So I think the first thing that needs to happen for us to, to accept this new wave of medicine, because this is one of the biggest, I think, things that are going to happen in medicine in our lifetime, is to really accept obesity as a true chronic disease. Yeah. It's so interesting because this is the point of modern medicine, right? To 100%. improve quality and quantity of life. And so there are so many diseases and so much of the world's disease burden is attributable to excess weight. It's not just heart disease and stroke, but it's all, so many different cancers. It's even exactly. stuff like osteoarthritis and the joy that people get from living their lives. Mental because health. Mental health, you know, sexual, sexual function, fertility. body dysmorphia, fertility. I mean, it, the list goes on and on yeah, and on. And um, it's interesting because it's, it's some of the same stuff that we saw in the 80s with the onset of SSRIs to treat depression and, and um, psychological and psychiatric disorders and you know and then it's the same kind of backlash that we that we saw with the onset of botox and all of these kind of niche specialized areas in medicine have been really given the ringer by the zeitgeist and the press because they're regarded as vanity problems and not real problems. And I remember distinctly growing up in the 80s and 90s when people were depressed and 
the news articles were about how they should just wear more yellow and spend more time outdoors <laughs> and smile more and get like sun on the back of your knees in the popliteal fossa. It, I mean, the most wild stuff was being put into the universe because it took 20 or 30 years for people to accept that it, it, it's on some level, it's a metabolic cellular process that's happening. And you think of obesity, the same way the way patients resource to some crazy diets out there, right? I mean, like extreme things that you think this is not possible. And it's again, because we're trying to look for ways to improve it that is non-medical. And that's where the problem is. Like, as you mentioned, science is evolving and this is what we expect from medicine, that we have treatment for diseases, right? That we prevent diseases because by treating obesity, we're gonna prevent so many other complications. I think we've built specialties out of the complications of obesity. So I really think that this is, it's gonna take one or two or maybe three generations to really get accepted but this will change, I think, people's health and the way that we practice medicine. Yeah, Ozempic and Mundaro and GLP-1 agonists are gonna go through the same life cycle as Botox, where first, everybody's mad at it, then everyone's <laughs> jealous of their friends who used it, Everybody wants then it. every practitioner who doesn't really know how to do it is like clamoring to get in on it, and then there's a wave of complications and press articles about how we were all right and it was a bad idea in the first place, and then like after 25 years, it could normalize Normalize, yeah, and you exactly. can get good outcomes from qualified practitioners. Isn't it incredible? It's but just that's amazing. What I said, two or three generations for us to to accept it as a treatment. Yeah, I I have seen personally in my practice many of the patients that we have um, taken care of together benefit so much from you know seeing you and your expertise, but also harnessing the power of modern medicine in figuring out what's right for them. And it's not always Ozempic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is something really simple, like maybe it is a lifestyle modification. Maybe it is a thyroid oh, function exactly. issue. Maybe it's the perimenopausal time period exactly. of life. But there are so many things that can free us from the little indignities of human suffering. And at least for me, this is what brought me to a career in medicine. And I think it's the same for you. Yeah, definitely to improve. For me, my goal has always to improve the quality of life of my patient, right? And it's more holistically and more, more thorough. I, I like to say uh, from the inside out, I like to help my patients, right? I always tell whatever happens outside is the cherry on top in regards to what I do. Uh, I'm not saying it's not important and I would say many patients come initially because of that. But once they start feeling healthy, they start doing things that they didn't do before, being social, being sexual, being sleeping better, bending their knees, you see the difference that it, it, it has on them, right? It's not just anymore the appearance or looking good. It's actually feeling good. And then once they feel good, there's no going back, mm -hmm. right? Once they see that lifestyle, once they feel a certain way, there's no going back. Yeah. And I think that we see that with that expression that you can't pour from an empty cup, right? When people feel good on their own, on their own two feet, then they can be more productive husbands and wives and fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and friends and professionals in the community. And just that little nucleus of sense of self, I think can make a really big difference. So, Huge. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I, patients all the time come in and ask me about Ozempic face. Um, and, you know, as you know, many people who lose a lot of weight will have 
some aftermath of that Definitely. because there's there's never a free lunch. Um, and so um, what we're doing in my practice is thinking about surgical and non-surgical modalities for how to help people with some of the changes that can be seen in the face or body. But one thing I was going to ask you about is that this idea that I think it's been unfairly attributed toward medication because any form of weight loss is going to give you some stigmata of weight loss in yeah. your tissues. Do you see this with your patients? Definitely. So I think what's happening with the osempic face and osempic body is because we are seeing now something that actually works on people and we're seeing more and more people doing it and losing weight and that's why they're attributing to this drug in particular to this class of drugs in particular right because before we didn't have anything that worked this well that everybody was using so i think the number of people that we're seeing is just because more people are using it because the medications are effective now to prevent the osempic phase of which is basically the loss of laxicity in, in the skin uh, I, I think it has to do so weight loss is complex let's go by with that first it's not just dropping the pounds right um, we have to make sure what are the nutrients that the patient is having, making sure they don't lose muscle. So what I see, the reason of the osempic phase is one, if it's too rapid weight loss, and this is, could be to any sorts of weight loss, right? Again, they're not exclusive of incretence. Uh, rapid weight loss, too, too, too much, too fast. It doesn't allow the skin laxicity to accommodate to the weight loss. And then third, and the most common that we can see also causing hair loss is the lack of protein in the diet. So patients go in a calorie restrictive intake when they're on these medications and it seems like most patients or most people whenever we are on a diet or we're eating less, we cut protein back because it's the most filling, right? So we don't want anything that fills us when it's a small amounts, we wanna be able to eat a little more things. So it's that decrease, that significant decrease in protein in your diet that is causing the osempic phase, the hair loss, and the muscle loss that we're seeing with the medications. So it really, that's why you need a really ex expertise or somebody who has experience on this type of medications and weight loss to prevent that from happening because it's preventable. Yeah. What do you think the next 10 or 20 years are going to look like in endocrinology and obesity medicine? You know, I think this is the tip this is, we're in diapers still. I think the medications are gonna become way much more sophisticated, safer, more weight loss. We have medications coming that actually help gain muscle while you're losing weight. So I, I it's, it's going to be, it's really interesting what's gonna happen. I really think we're gonna become superhumans at one point because uh, again, we're, we're just in the beginning stages of what this is coming, of what obesity medicine is becoming. Do you think that we're going to get to a point where we get the obesity epidemic under control? Definitely, I do think so, especially with this medications. Yeah, and I that's gotta improve life expectancy, I mean, right? Exactly, I mean, longevity, yeah. less all-cause mortality, there's more than 15 cancers, so breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, stomach cancer are associated, first and foremost, with obesity more than genetics now. So really, again, I think we're going to prolong our life, but with better quality of life. For patients who don't want to take a medication to assist with weight loss, are there other practices that you think are medically sound? Like, for example, intermittent fasting or intentionally trying to be a little bit underweight 
um, or a certain frequency of exercise or what what kind of general lifestyle recommendations would you make? So uh, what I've seen through my years doing body compositions on patients is having higher muscle mass is their best bet for health, is the best bet for decreasing body fat naturally with our medication, uh, for decreased all-cause mortality. We have many studies that shows that muscle mass is directly proportional to longevity and the best anti-aging that we have. So I would say for patients to concentrate, move from the spinning, cardiovascular, that's good for mental health, but if you really don't build muscle, it's more turning into resistance, strength training, and having a diet high in protein. I think those will be my best two things. And even for my patients that are on, on weightless medication, I always say, for those patients that have the least amount of muscle, it's very hard for me to bring down the doses for those patients that build muscle, I can really push down the medication doses to the minimum, right? So that's the importance of muscle mass. Yeah, and muscle itself improves metabolic rate. Exactly. So you kind of are solving of your own problem, exactly. which is cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if people are aware of this, but when you look at longevity curves graphed against BMI, you know, your longevity will improve with decreasing weight or decreasing BMI to a certain point. But then if you get too, too skinny, then it go, then yeah. your mortality goes up again frail. and exactly. you become frail. And yeah. so I think that's something to note for a lot of people who look really beautiful on the outside. This, this uh, colloquialism of being skinny fat is a real thing. Yeah. If you're very thin and you still fit in sample size clothing, you can still be doing your body a disservice and be contributing to osteopenia, and osteoporosis, and you know poor longevity. I think now that we have this sophisticated medications, we need to be sophisticated in how we diagnose obesity and weight and waking or weight loss. We need to move away from the BMI, right? Because the BMI is a antiquated, form for of us telling us what's what in the patient's weight. I think we really need to go into more body composition and see muscle mass, percentage body fat, visceral fat, to really see what's happening. Because I, my main concern with giving this type of medications and not doing body composition is that, that we're creating, we're going to have another epidemic, which is going to be the sarcopenic obesity or the skinny fat people, right? If we're just concentrating on the number on the scale, they could be losing half a month of them, half of muscle of the weight and that's not going to be metabolically healthy right so i think if i always tell doctors if you want to be the person that's going to prescribe these medications do it the right way do it correctly get yourself a body composition machine and go beyond measurements beyond the bmi yeah well i think that that's so important for people to think about because it's not just the short run mm -hmm. do you fit into this dress for exactly. your special occasion it's the long run like what are you doing to your actual tissues and how, how is the quality of your life going to be affected? Exactly. What are your thoughts about how it's become such a popular offering that, you know, I'm getting fed Facebook ads and people are going on Yelp to go to totally random providers who don't really have much of a background in this field to be treated with a very sophisticated and not completely benign class of medications. I had a patient, I'll just say as an aside, who's a professional model very thin, who went to somebody that she found through word of mouth, through an internet chat forum, to lose five pounds on Munjaro. And it was just uh, like BMI to seven, from 17 to 16, just mm -hmm. like a very treacherous situation, 
but what is your thought about the misuse of these medications? Well, I think the problem with what's happening, all those crazy side effects that we're seeing that were not done in the control, that were not seen in the control studies, is because of that, right? Because uh, the, the people that are giving this as medications don't have the experience, don't, don't have the close follow-up with the patients, and they are the ones that are creating all this bad negativity in regards to bad side effects that we're seeing, right? Because if you're done correctly, the, the risk of side effects is really minimal. I, my, my motto is the efficacy of the medication on how much you're gonna lose and the safety on how you're not gonna develop side effects depends 100% on who's giving you the medication and how they're gonna guide you and how they're gonna supervise you. So all of these people using mild using this medication are giving the medication a really bad rep that creates that backlash that we're seeing, right? When they're wonderful medications that can save people's life when they're used the right way. Yeah. What is your approach to your own personal wellness routine? Like how do you manage your many responsibilities professionally and personally along with exercise, diet, you know, being a forward-facing person who has to walk the walk and talk the talk? Like what, what's, your, what's your system? So when I, in my early 20s, I fell in love with weightlifting as I did with medicine. So weightlifting and fitness has been part of my life because I truly enjoy it. And now I see it as part of my job, right? So I feel like I have that responsibility that I want to be sympathetic to my patients and what they're going through and tell them, you know what, it is hard. Sometimes I don't go to the gym. Sometimes I make it twice a week. Sometimes it's hard to eat proteins. It's okay if you fall off the curve for a few weeks. So I try to be as, um, how do you say, as permissive as I am with my patients and try to find a, a balance in, in between, right? Because anywhere we, where we tip to one side to the extreme is when things don't work out. So being older now, it also allows me that it's okay if I didn't go to the gym this week, I'll get back to it, right? I think that the main thing is just to get back to it. Yeah, I think that's good. I also like the wisdom of small little moments. I know it's not always enough, but me doing a five or seven minute Nike app workout on my cell phone when I have exactly seven minutes in the morning, you know, it gets the blood flowing and it can additively get you where you want to be. And it may not be the 30 minute run or weightlifting session that I aspire to, but it's better than nothing. And I think there's a problem. We set ourselves to failure many times, right? Oh no, I have to go to the gym four times a week, one hour, four times a week. And then when we don't meet that, then we stop. So I think it's giving yourself small goals at the beginning. It's important. Yeah. And then also making sure that we don't beat ourselves up too much when we are not completely meeting our guidelines. Yeah. Well, I like to ask everybody on the podcast what beauty means to them. What does beauty mean to you? Health. Beauty to me means health. Um, Healthy eating, healthy living, healthy heart and healthy mind, being able to sleep at night, right? I think you're conscious, having a good conscious that you can sleep at night. I think that's, that's beauty. 
That's really wonderful. And then doing some things with you sometimes. <laughs> um, it's the beauty from the inside out. It's and then exactly. like sometimes I'm from the outside on the inside, in. you work on my outside. Yes, exactly. It's a little bit of both, you know, a yin and a yang. Yes. Um, well, this is so fun. Do you have any advice for aspiring medical professionals? Any young doctors out there, future doctors? I would, yes. I would say if it's a calling, if you feel it, do it because there's nothing else that's gonna give you that satisfaction, right? Do it for the right reasons. When you when somebody goes into medicine because they think of money, then it becomes really hard and, and, and not doable and that you may quit. But if it's something that you feel, do it because we need more doctors and we need, we need doctors that care and doctors that go in for the right reasons. It's hard, but again, when you have to have it, it's, that doesn't matter how hard it's gonna to become to get it. I totally agree. It's such a wonderful profession. I, I would go back to medical school if I could. I would too, and I would, uh, I, I would love every minute of it. Exactly. It's a, Even rest, I would do everything again. It's yeah. like learning a whole new language, and I think it's so amazing it to is. be able to we're connect very, with people exactly. in that way. We're the very relationships lucky. that we can create with patients. For me, that's and we didn't talk about that, but like doing private practice and, and having your own your own business allows us to have that freedom to have those connections and those relationships with our patients. What was that decision like for you to become an entrepreneur and to work for yourself? I, working for somebody else, I always thought that I could do so much more for my patients if I only had the time. Like I knew I could help my patients in many other things that patients were asking me for or that they needed without the restriction of time. And I think that was my main reason of going because I didn't want anybody to dictate how I spend my time with my patients. And I think talking about obesity is a very vulnerable conversation that we're going back decades in somebody's life. I want to have that time to dedicate that patient to open up. And I think because of that, you, you earn their trust and then you create a really nice relationship with the patients, which was always what I wanted in medicine. I always thought like having that patient-doctor uh, relationship that goes beyond the, the office, right? Um, and I was able to do that thanks to going through private medicine. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much thank for spending for some time me. with me here. And how can people find you? Uh, my Instagram is Dr. Salas W. Also, TikTok is New York Endocrinology. And I'm here in New York Endocrinology on Park Avenue, 1107 Park Avenue. My website is nyendocrinology.com. Thank you.